What's up? I'm Jeff Weiss, a writer. And I'm No Can Do, a rapper. And this is Shots Fired, a podcast about hip-hop and patience. And other things. And other things. We're back. We other things. I would have said we shouldn't have left you, but like honestly, life happens. And sometimes, you know, you go. And sometimes you come back. And sometimes we're here. We're actually recording right now from... Uh, we no ain't your daddy. We yeah. Ain't, we're not supposed to be You're not paying you. me, you, person listening out there, unless you want to pay me, in which case you can PayPal me at passionweiss at gmail.com. Those loudspeaker checks are so tiny <laughs> that it's really hard to put aside real-life things for podcasting. I can't even put pay the rent on my cat's cat condo. I, just got, <laughs> I got three of those checks stacked up, and they're not even my gas bill. Seriously, I showed up at his doorstep and they were just like papered on his wall and he was using them for like a, an odd dartboard, which I, I didn't know you were into darts, but it turned out that you are. Every bachelor's into darts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's weird. Sometimes you'll be at like a bar and like you'll be with a bunch of people and you're playing darts and then like you're forced to be in that competitive situation where there's a bunch of girls looking at you. So you have to be like, I guess I have to suddenly force myself to be good at darts all of a sudden. Why do girls make everything more competitive? I feel right. Like you're out and then like you're like, oh, like that's why I don't play pool because mm -hmm. I really suck at pool. And like if a girl was to see me play pool, she'd just be like, what are you, not a man? And I'm like, what has that to do with manhood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm one of those dudes that's clumsily good at everything. Like, yeah. like I've never played this, and then I'll get it, and then I'll just like embarrass people with the darts, or like I'm clumsily good at pool, or like the other day, um, shit, this is random, but I went to uh, go talk to Eva. Oh wow! I went to Vice, and there's a basketball court. You know me, I don't play no fucking basketball. No. And so it was like tall, lanky, you know, uh, Caucasian gentleman that was like, come on, take some shots. I was like, I'm going to play basketball. Yeah. I'm wearing a fucking dress shirt, a button-up shirt, yeah. short sleeve, like Zippowitz, yeah. flowery pattern. Yeah. And uh, and I'm, you know, make some good three-pointers. But bad. I ripped the fucking shirt, though. Oh. Uh, doing it. Dude, there's a photo of R. Kelly on the internet that came out this week. It's so great. Of course, it became a gif. It's like R. Kelly, like in dress shoes, like all dress clothes, with a cigar in his mouth. Hitting corner threes at Madison Square Garden on the news court before the game. Oh my God. I need to see that shit. It's amazing. R. Kelly, national hero, national nightmare, all rolled into one. I thought, dude, I was having this conversation with, like, when my little sister, she's 19. Yeah. Which means she's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was just like, talk, she's playing some R. Kelly and all this shit. And I was like, I wonder if R. Kelly is, uh, I wonder if. He's still molesting, you know, sixteen-year-olds. Yeah, and then she's like, "No, no, no, no." He probably did that once and got it out of his system. I was like, "No, no, 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 no." no. <laughs> once you fuck sixteen-year-olds and once you get caught for doing it, that's your thing. And I was just like, <laughs> "Look," and I, then I started bumping down to her. Uh, this is how easy it is for R. Kelly to fuck sixteen-year-olds. Canada, or like Honduras, or nor or the UK, or fucking Hawaii, or international waters, anywhere. <laughs> Anywhere he can fuck sixteen year olds, he can pee on sixteen year olds if they're down. But like, you know, R. Kelly's he's not he hasn't stopped fucking sixteen year olds. He just has to fly out to do it. Yeah, like they had to be like, look, you have a serious problem. How are we gonna make you not go to jail for the serious problem? If he lives in Chicago, right? Yeah. You know how close that is to Canada? Is Canada's age of consent sixteen? I think it's sixteen. <laughs> I knew there was something wrong with Canada. <laughs> like, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, if you think about the last year, Canada brought us, or the last couple years, right? Canada brought us Dove Charney from American Apparel, number one scumbag. Yeah. 
Yeah. They brought us Drake. Yeah. They brought us The Weeknd. Yeah. Like, w- why? What what happened to Canada? I thought it was like just a nice, lovely place where everyone was like, what Michael happened J. to Fox Atlanta's more set and clearly Canadian? Remember that drink? That beverage? Oh, it, was a good, yeah, it was a good beverage. They took that shit. <laughs> they took that shit. They're like, we need to rebrand ourselves as scum. That's because right. maybe they're holding up a mirror to America. And they're like, America, this is what you are. That's a, Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> like They're like, we can out-douchebag you, yeah, which yeah. is amazing. Are we recording, by the way? Do we know? Yeah, when some shit is read, it usually means it's recording. All right. Lovely. Yeah. Well, you're getting a podcast. Um, a lot happened in the last five months, six months. We we've gone through all kinds of emotional vicissitudes, life changes. I don't really, I don't know if I really want to talk about them on the air, but um, shit, I, so <laughs> much has gone on. I don't, yeah. My dog might be dying now because she might have eaten the roach bait in James's house, which is a, which was where we're taping from. No more, uh, I'm not taping a dash. Yeah, yeah, no, we're we're uh, in sunny South Central right now, and um, yeah, we wanted know? more authenticity, or at least I did. James, yeah. this is your everyday life. I, being the the hipster scum that I am, we're like, oh, all right. It, but South Central is pretty lovely these days. It's, I think it always has been. I'm a hipster myself. Or I'm a flipster. <laughs> like you know, I'm I'm the type of person that says. I was listening to that before you knew it existed. Yeah. I was wearing, oh, dude, I was in the studio with this dude, and he had on uh, glossy black nail polish. And Which was your thing. Well, see, here's the thing. When I first met you, you had black nail polish, I think. When I was in high school, you know, I had the little, you know, I was dating the white girl with the pink hair, and fucking, you know. It's a good I had, look. I had the, yeah, I had the motherfucking, uh, what's that shit, the, the Sharpie on my nail or whatnot. And um, Black Sharpie. And then, so that's like fucking nineteen. You were like Tyler the Creator before Tyler the Creator. Just not, didn't want to advertise it. And then, and then, <laughs> not so. Not angry. And then, so like, you know, in 2012, 2013, I was doing that shit. And, um, and then, you know, I did that shit right after Ike died last year for like a month, too. And then I see saw this guy, and he's like, he he thinks he's flossy. I wish you could see my, my, my pop collar motions. He thinks he's flossy and fresh, and I'm just like... In my head, I'm like, you're such a basic, <laughs> basic dude. And for one, you have on glossy black polish. That's like, you should have matte. And <laughs> <laughs> did you, just, you stunted on his nail polish. Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> like, look, yeah. bro, Dangle's small bottle of nail polish tosses to him casually. Yeah, like, let me, I mean, this is Catches such. Catches it crushed. That's, that's just so, it's so, it's so, like, you know, feminine. But it's just still, like, just, I, I feel like there's, you know, this. he's a very basic. And right now. You know, he can have this conversation yeah. with people yeah. where they're like, oh, yeah, that's like some like rebellious thing that you're doing old fashioned. Yeah. And for me, it was like faggot or it was like you're doing something that is not cool. And I I'd have to, I'd, you know, like it was like a there is like a different sensibility growing up in the 90s where yeah. it's like you, there were certain things where I, I when I was interviewing like Kamasi Washington about Thundercat, he was like, nah, he was dressing the same way in 1999. <laughs> yeah. It's just like everyone was like, yo, what the fuck is up with your friend? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. like your friend is weird. And, but here's the thing. Once you get on, on a stage dressed like that, that's cool. Then then like chicks be like, oh. That's how that looks. I mean, look how David, like David Bowie, like not really conventionally good looking guy, not like definitely not like in good shape, kind of looks like 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 a apparition, but like got on stage, killed it, mm-hmm. could do whatever he wanted. Like literally you change handsome. Yeah, you, you change do. handsome. Well, it's like I, I also like when Action Bronson would say like, like, I'm gorgeous. Like, I think he just said it enough and like people started to believe like Action. And you're like, eh. I don't know about that with Action Bronson. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I dated this girl, man, that was so obsessed with beauty. And, like, I'm like, hey, like, you put all this makeup on, but what really made me like you 
is like your fucking like this confidence that you had at certain times and like you know like it has nothing to do with like the fucking color of your makeup like for one is if, this I, like if I Kendrick Lamar song no it's not <laughs> hold on my little sister's calling but hey if I had the choice if I had the choice she'd be wearing black lipstick and a fucking choker and looking like fucking Bok. Bok. I saw that I like yeah. that you had that thing Faruza <laughs> yeah. Buck was kind of popping in like 1998 hold on hey you got my computer in your car huh No, nah, you're going to bring it to my house. It's not a purse. It's a man bag. Shots fired. Version two po- 3.0. Bring it to my house. <laughs> I'll just talk to you guys. It's fine. Come on. Shame just talking to his sister. I've been all right, if you wanted to know. I need it's it. has been weird. A lot going on. Travel. I might. Took some all right, whatever, man. I'll, I'll get it from my grandma's house. I'll get it there. Needless it. to say. Leave it there. That was weird. Um, You should read the story on noisy.com, which Who is a website. This, huh? We. I don't know how to edit this. Love you. How are we going to edit this? Bye. I'll edit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. No, We're I, back. I, I <laughs> yeah. I'm. I believe it. I believe. I, I can I, edit. I just don't want to fucking go. It's fine. I don't want to leave South Central. You're bro. getting an episode, so it's like you're fine. You're I fine. Shots fired. It's, it's free podcasting. You missed this. Yeah. All the people. Yeah. So uh, we haven't talked about the Drake ghostwriting. I feel like that was something that a lot of people wanted to talk about five months ago. But I feel. <laughs> but, they but I feel they, us. they weren't us. They weren't us. It's true. <laughs> you needed our insightful hot takes, and we're giving them to you right now. Mm. What was your perspective on that? Because you've you know you've you've seen all different sides of the industry and kind of uh, seen the way the game is told <laughs> not to be sold, according to. Well, no, the game is to be sold, not to be told. It is to be sold. Can, to be actually, told. I think it's both these days. <laughs> I think it's to be sold and told. I mean, the people who are selling it are are definitely, you know. They're, the numbers are dwindling on the people who are selling the game. And more people are telling the game these days. The game d- had a decent first week sales debut. <laughs> yeah, 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 he did. Everybody has a decent first, first week sales debut. And then no this, one buys it again. In this fucking streaming culture. But, um, so, I've done, I, I'm currently doing my fair share of writing right now. And I'm doing pretty, pretty good at it. And I've done, I've, I, you know, I, I've been in rap, I was in a rap group when I was like 19 to like 22, 21. Yeah. And so, you know. I might have a chorus idea that this person is going to say or people are going to add things, you know? Um, you know, when when this shit was happening, like, because I'm going to talk about, actually, I'm going to talk about the fucking writing and the battle shit together. When this shit was happening, I was like, wow, people are so outraged that there's other people writing in rap songs that that uh, I feel like maybe... Maybe like there's just just been this fucking veil that's been maybe up too long on hip hop, you know, like groups and people and individual dudes have been writing rap songs since like you know fucking like Kane writing shit for Bismarck. Well, I feel it's a, it, it's on a case by case basis because everyone knew that Jay Z was writing Foxy Brown's lyrics. Everyone knew Biggie was writing Little Kim's lyrics. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew that Bismarck he was getting his shit written by like Big Daddy Kane. Like it was like an oh, I mean, and people knew that. Yeah. But what about when there's a homie that has a fucking what if Great like boys, what if write, yeah. not a, no not even that but like what if you found out Memphis Bleak wrote your favorite Jay Z chorus because the guy that's the fucking <laughs> lyricist <laughs> like I need a gif right now yeah yeah but, yeah but, your face yeah, 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 I'm, like, like, I'm like okay it depends on the Jay Z yeah 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 it depends on the Jay Z chorus if it was the chorus for Hey Poppy or something I'd be like but what if it was a yeah. big one though. <laughs> No, well, I'm every- saying that would be a bigger one. Okay. <laughs> like, because <laughs> like I was like, because Jay Z kind of dropped some knowledge in Hey Poppy. Yeah. But um. But 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 here's the thing. Like, there's like you can be a fucking lyricist all you want. Yeah. 
But then there's people with different like skills. There's people yeah. that have a crazy pen. Then there's people that have a great conceptual minds. There's people that have great, uh, great, uh, what is it, a sense of melody. Yeah. You know, there's people that have a great sense of rhythm. And sometimes those people aren't all one dude. Yeah. So you think about like what what rap is. It's one dude with a microphone in front of your face telling you about his life. And that's how like you imagine it with Rakim and everything, right? But look how limited those songs are as compared in terms of like melody, in terms of con- concept as in, uh, compared to a fucking Beatles song. Yeah. You know? It's true. And the reason why the fucking the Beatles shit yeah, works I agree. is because there's a dude that's like, I'm rhythmic as fuck, and this should go like this. And this guy's like, well, I'm conceptual as fuck. What if, you know, you know, uh-huh. the the world was this way? And then there's Paul who's like, I'm melodic as fuck. Yeah. Well, that explains why the Beatles solo shit I, isn't nearly as good. Exactly. You know? And imagine putting on the and, same BPM Rakim song to the same BPM Drake song. Yeah. Think about how many different elements are being used. Yeah. Like musical elements, you yeah. know, are being used, and why this song is fuller and more complete than this song. That's just a really good idea. Well, it's interesting. There's been a lot of like culture wars. I feel like right now about like Thug and Future and kind of like, and it's like interesting because I'm like, first of all, I don't mm. understand. Well, I think Thug is amazing because I'm like, yo, he's first of all, he's not writing, but he's saying amazing lines. Like he's I freestyling. Like that I shit. look or good writing. as your dad on a Friday. Yeah. Like that's a crazy ass line because I was talking about with with Far East Movement, and they yeah. were like, I don't understand. I was like, well, here's the thing. I was like. It's so good because everyone's dad on a Friday looks the same. So it puts a different mental image in everybody's <laughs> mind. Is your it's dad your is getting dad. dressed up. It's not his and dad. It's, and it's too, and it's how your dad looks to you. Like, exactly. Oh, you look sharp. And boss. I remember being like a little, you remember being like a little kid and like you see your dad, like your parents going out or something or like your mom going out or whatever it is, you know, it's like, so it brings you that image or like, mm-hmm. or he had another line where he was like, he has a song where he's like, uh, never made love. And mm-hmm. it's like about uh, how he never, he, he met a girl but um, she looked like his brother's nurse. And then he rhymes, <laughs> and he goes, he and a hearse. And so he never slept with the girl that looked like his brother's nurse because she right. reminded him too much of the nurse and it reminded him of his dead brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and he does that in like four bars, but everyone like has to think it has to be like, they're like, Jay Cole telling a song about having premature ejaculation is like, and you're like, yo, whoa, whoa can we talk exactly. about that song? <laughs> like, no, I, on, on everything, I'm with you on that, like, like every time that song would come on, uh, the the J Cole song, I'm like, this is so juvenile. Why the fuck? <laughs> why the fuck is a man that's damn near thirty or thirty, like talking about like his first time having like reminisce? I like I, I don't remember. I blocked that out of my memory. <laughs> not even I blocked that out of my memory, but like I literally, if I get together with my my homies and we start talking about deep shit yeah. as grown ass <laughs> men, I'm not gonna be like, you know, when I, I lost my virginity this way. It's gonna be like, nah, dude, I couldn't even fuck that bitch because she reminded me of something that made my some, stomach turn. Yeah, some like real incident that like some <laughs> real some real grown man shit. And I feel like Thug is like twenty four, right? Not even. I think he's like twenty two. He's twenty. Well, I guess that fast life will kind of put you there. But yeah. I, th- I th- look at J Cole is more of a pop dude, anyway. You think like I mean, he did well, sample he, Paula Abdul. He's a he's a he's a pop artist. Yeah, at this point. So his his job. His job is to make these big, broad songs that everybody can understand. Even though he's rapping his ass off in the like in the fucking Rockets Records kind of way, yeah, and it makes the backpackers happy. What they don't fucking know is that niggas like me are writing those choruses and thinking those concepts. Yeah. And there's rooms full of people. You know what I'm saying? Well, but it's like one of those things. It's like it's like they want to believe that the actor is the one who wrote the lines. For sure. And but with a guy like Thug, like you can. T- 
Damn, I'm about to piss the, But no off. one could write but, Thugs. But I'm going to say, with a guy like Thug, it's more like the Rakim shit, except he has the melody. So the concept may not be this big, broad thing that sucks you in, but it's like, you know, it's really just like this empty-ass beat and a dude just fucking barring out and saying shit from well, his Well, he also, like, and if you're just thinking, like, melodies, this fool has, like, melodies, he has counter-melodies. Like, if you, like, traced it out, like, an arc, you'd be like, whoa, what is, like... Yeah, but it, but it's not pop, though, because no. that shit does what it wants to do. Yeah, it, yeah. It, there's definitely no... I mean, the closest thing I think he has to a pop song is probably Best Friend, mm-hmm. which is also an amazing song to sing to your animals. <laughs> I sing that to both my animals. I'll, Izzy's right here. She might have... Hopefully she's okay. She's, Izzy Miyaki! Yeah, she's, she's killing it. Yeah, no, I, I just started posting photos of, like, my cat and my dog, like, mm. but just making fun of, like, real hip-hop. <laughs> like, I'm just using them to make fun. I just, like, can't believe we're having another, like, hip-hop culture war in 2015. But to, back to that battle shit. Uh, in Scribble Jam 2005, there's a dude named Metaphorist, and there's a dude named Borat, and this was, like, the semifinals. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But I remember in this battle, like, you know, it was, like, it was really, like, it was a lot of kids from California out there in Cincinnati. It was a kind of cold and if you come from california you only you have hella hoodies right but you have hella shorts so it was cold so borat had on a hoodie and some shorts (laughs) and then metaphor metaphors or metaflow what his name was he's from cincinnati he uh he kept his he he got kind of drunk before the battle yeah but he kept mentioning that he, you got a hoodie and some shorts on you got a hoodie and some shorts on that don't make no sense and like we were like, we get it, we get it, but where's the, like, where's the rest? Yeah. And with the Drake Meek shit, Meek was like, but you got writers, but you got writers. Yeah. It's like, no, nigga, you said that in the tweet. <laughs> like, give me more. Has there ever been a bigger fail in diss history than that? I don't think there ever was. I don't think I've, I'm like, look, I would never was a Meek fan, but obviously I'm a well-regarded Drake hater. Like, it's like my, you know, it's like it become, it's like a running joke at this point. Like, I yeah. genuinely, and it's it's out of sincerity. It's like, I really just hate everything he does. It's not like I'm trying to. It's just yeah. like. It just doesn't sit I, well I, with you. It just, every his but voice. But it, says, it says, says a lot about you, though, Jeff. But, well, I'm a, but, com- <laughs> I'm a complicated human being. <laughs> but, but. Like the potential, the potential for that battle, you know, the Could've potential for that battle. It's like when you, you know, when you're like, you find out the two. It's like every Floyd Mayweather fight. Like I, that's how I felt about Drake no, winning. Floyd, I was like, Floyd Mayweather. Oh wait, wait. Floyd Mayweather fights are way better than Drake winning. Stop that. But like, it's always a boring ass win. It's like Drake. Like, but although, did you hear Sauce Walker's song "Whack to Whack"? Nah, isn't the Sauce Twins that dude? <laughs> yo, yo, we're gonna play that afterwards. Yeah. It's magnificent. It's yeah. it's the diss that you wish that Meek like came with. Yeah, yeah but like yeah. no one cared because everyone's like, oh, it doesn't care. You're hating. You're poor. It's like doesn't. When did like I, I don't know? I had an interesting thing with uh, no ID when because like when I, I did a story on him for Billboard and he was just like he's like he's like I get real weird like every time anyone brings in numbers like streaming or sales and he's like is it good? Like mm-hmm. did it make you feel a certain way? Like I, and it, and it's just like. Like he's like, what does money have to do with like whether something's the art is good? Yeah, well, see, that's you know it's fucked up. I think people without money care more about fucking money, and people without numbers care more about money and numbers than the actual motherfuckers. That's interesting. Yeah, you know probably, because yeah. so no idea is a person that's probably made a lot he's of made money. made a lot of money. Yeah, he lives and in he's just like, well, at the end of the day, I can play these two records, and it doesn't. This one doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, you know, and I and what people forget. Is that good ideas and penetrative fucking in the art world? Good ideas and penetrative art and fucking you know like technique and all that other shit. That's what gets money, yeah. you know, along with good business practice, you know. But I think the layman is just like, but he ain't drink though. Drake is shitting on him though. But like you know, 
like I don't really think the fucking uh the climate of the fucking industry and who got signed first and who's who's in the way. Like coming from like the street corner battle shit, I've been like at a place where there's a dude who's the king king shit, and then some new guy comes and then he has then the king shit has dick riders. But after round two, the new guy murders that dude. I never couldn't figure out why like uh he never did anything. Why he never did a second disc. Who me? Because because he he was drunk. When he did that, like he had metaphors. to be drunk. He was yeah. not literally drunk. He probably was but also he just drunk didn't un- on Nicki Minaj. He just didn't... Under- he, maybe he did win. <laughs> he just didn't understand what you're there to do. Like, some people, when you're trying to argue, some people are, like, trying to argue a point, and, like, I am right, and this is my point. But people that win the fucking argument, you know, do some Johnny Cochran, the glove doesn't fit, they yeah, do some yeah. distracting, yeah. you know, and they fucking, like, winning, winning an argument on that scale is not about... It's about shutting the other motherfucker up. Yeah. It's not about... You know, it's not about fucking who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's about fucking a song and how that shit feels. So Meek just forgot that. He was like, but look, you have a ghostwriter. <laughs> My point there, court. No, your fucking client is going to jail, Meek. Your yeah. client is fucking going down. The only other thing that I would say that Meek did like got points for was uh, uncovering the evidence that he, Drake had gotten peed on in a movie premiere. Wait, he got peed on in the movie for me? Yeah, yeah, he was like one of T.I.'s boys. Like, I guess was like drunk and like like a little bit of piss splashed on Drake. And then Drake, he was like, this guy was like like a, like a convict from middle. Like, he was like a fucking scary ass dude. Like, and Drake was not about to do anything. And like, he let another man pee on him. Uh, so that was like, that was in the, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, you gotta stab that guy in the neck. You <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're big, aren't you? You're big. Oh, you peed on me? Yeah, Drake will probably just only like if he sees me, he'll probably just punch me. He probably would be like, "Oh, I don't know who you are," but then like deep down, like you're like. Uh, but uh, it's interesting. I, I read a thing like uh, where Terrace Martin was interviewed the other day. He was talking about um, Terrace he, Martin. Yeah, and he was doing an interview with uh, Complex, and uh, he was talking about like he's like, "Well, just just be careful what what you read, what you write, because we're on all intellectuals. We read everything, everything." <laughs> I was like, and I was like, "All right then." I was like, probably everyone does read everything. Although, uh, to be fair, Kendrick seemed to be very much trying not to read things, but I guess it's probably unavoidable. Uh, dude, I don't give a fuck about none of that. So, what, what, what's what? next, bro? How long are we gonna talk talk about this shit? I don't know. Why are we going? Well, let's fuck it. Let's just go into the uh, let's go into the episode. This is Saul Williams. We had, mm. that was a good. We did take this many moons ago. Yeah, a long time ago. I don't remember the episode, but I it was good. You told remember, your famous think, Saul Williams story. I think I remember fanning out a little bit too hard about the time that I fanned out. Yeah, we talked about. Uh, it's interesting because he had this Tupac musical, and now the the Hamilton musical is like blowing up. So maybe it was like a little ahead. Yeah. Who Davi Diggs from from Clipping was? Yeah. It, yeah. Who we should probably. Davi is a tight dude. He's we a good rapper, good yeah. actor. Yeah, the Clipping dudes are fascinating. They just actually wrote a, a piece on Screw for my website, or William did. Mm-hmm. Those fools are the biggest regional rap fans you've ever found out. Like that guy, they they will talk to you about like the obscure Houston, Louisiana, and Bay shit, mm-hmm. like all day long. Like, well, they're from the Bay. Yeah. 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 I mean, they can definitely tell you the ins and outs of Saint Cohen was a. Yeah, he was living in a Buddhist monastery for like yeah. Yeah, twelve years in the middle of his career. All right, Are you a big fan of Leonard Cohen? Shots fired. I became one uh-huh. for sure, yeah. definitely. I mean, his writing is superb. Yeah. I mean, um, when I was uh, a few years ago, I read his first novel. You ever read that novel he uh-huh. wrote? No. All I can think of is hauntingly beautiful, but I think that's my description of it, not the title. Um, but the first novel that Leonard Cohen wrote around the time that he was living in the Chelsea and hanging out with all the other characters that were living in the Chelsea yeah. and he had just moved there from, from Canada. Um, nah, his prose is extremely rich, dense, you know, poetic, 
really beautiful writing. And of course, his songwriting, we all know from songs like Hallelujah. And uh, I mean, there's so much. I heard him on the, uh, on the radio, on Radio Nova, like uh, maybe six or eight months ago, and they were playing his new album. He has a new album, oh. and I don't know how old he is, 78 or He's up or there, yeah. He's up there, right? I met him once, actually. You're not lucky that. But, um, <laughs> but they played one of his new songs, and he was like reciting a poem, and it, like normal in his songs, he had women singing and all this stuff. And it was so simple and so perfect as a song in terms of structure. It's like, uh, I remember at the same time I had seen a play at BAM by Peter Brook, who's also like 80. And, uh, and just my wife and I were talking about how that sort of wisdom that comes with age allows you to manifest something so simply. Like he wrote a song mm-hmm. that was like just simple as if I were to go, a song could be written like this, mm-hmm. sitting in front of the mic, as if I could compose something. Oh, right he did it now. real time? No, 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 no. Uh, it's a recording. Okay. But you could hear how perfect it was and how simply he achieved it. Yeah, and you yeah. knew that that was nothing but mastery. It was the same thing with the Peter Brook play that I saw. Where it was like a person was on stage with like a coat rack. And during the course of the play, that coat rack became a ship, became a table, became yeah. a chair, became all these things. But the the stage was really bare. Yeah. But the story was rich and dense, and we traveled with nothing but a coat rack. Yeah. Just that simple mastery. Me, I love that. I love that in writers and filmmakers and musicians. Was there a first thing that, you know, the first like form of the arts that you were drawn to? Was it like acting? Was it music? Theater. Was it writing? Theater. 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 Um, Shakespeare. Is, is what turned me on. I um, I got cast by my, um, what, third grade teacher to do, um, what was it, uh, Julius Caesar. I played Mark Antony. And that was the same year that Teela Rockets Yours mm. came out. Yeah. And so, uh, and so on one hand, I'm discovering Old English. My father was a pastor, so I knew Old English a bit from like perusing through the Bible. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And thought that was funny, you know. <laughs> like saying shit that thine not, yeah, yeah. You know, like okay, thou shalt not. You know, all that shit was funny. But Shakespeare was playing with it, like mm-hmm. the layers and levels of meaning, you know, and learning how to break down text like that to discover, you know, meaning and all that. You was, think at like third grade you were able to see that though? Enough, yeah, enough yeah. to go, oh wow, it was like learning another language. It was also the year that I started studying French. Mm-hmm. So I started studying French. I started studying Shakespeare and I started listening to hip hop, and so all of those things were language. The language based. part of your yeah. brain was probably going crazy. Yeah, so it just mm-hmm. it made me pull out a pen and a pad and start playing with words on the page. I started like yeah, it's interesting yeah. too because like Tila Rock sort of like kind of the, the first it gets often credit for being like the first like really complex rapper. Yeah, he's, it's also uh, the first hip hop song over a breakbeat, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. It's also the first song Rick Rubin ever produced. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's recorded in his NYU dorm room. Um, he, he he told me the the story of making that song because you know in the song he's like uh, they're like Teela Rock is like do you want it yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. would you have it would you flaunt it hell yeah those people going yeah hell yeah that's MCA Ad Rock that oh, oh that's wow. the Beasties yeah that's they're at NYU at the time yeah hanging in Rick's dorm room and he needs extra voices as he's recording that. That's yeah. the Beastie Boys, and it's yours. 
That's crazy. So yeah. must have when you first started working with Rick Rubin, that must have just been like coming full circle. Like it must have just been yo like, on this Buddhist monk shit. You know, like uh, the the first day I hung out with Rick Rubin. Well, I hung out with him first at night after a show. He came to a concert, picked me up, blah 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 blah. I was like, we hung out a bit that night. Next day, mm -hmm. I like, come to my house. He came and picked me up. Just for the sake of the timeline, like when was this? Like, when is this? This is uh, when is this? This is like nineteen ninety eight. Okay, for sure. All right. And uh, I'm here doing a, a concert uh, at, I forget the name of the place, but I remember Carlos Nino, uh, I remember Zach DeLaRoche was there, Ben Harper was there, Miles played cello was there, um, on Wilshire, the Atlas. So I don't that, remember, you remember the that's, Atlas. That's, yeah. yeah, see, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is pre-Lowen theory. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> now, is, is that like, is that near, is it like East on Wilshire or is West on Wilshire? Is it like near the El Rey? Um, I can't even call it right now. Yeah. No, I think I think it's more East than that. Okay. You know? Mm -hmm. um, it's like the E-Bell. There's like the Wilshire E-Bell, I think, like. Yeah, I don't even e -Bell know. E-Bell is like K-Town almost. Yeah. It might be that direction. It's more that direction. I remember we left there, got into his, like, Rolls Royce, drove to, to DJ Shadow's house. Mm. Um kicked it, talked music, blah, 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 blah. And uh, and then the next day he brought me to his house. And this is my first time hanging out with Rick, really. And we go into, like, we enter his fucking house. Mm. We sit in his, like, office where, where there's a life-size Buddha. Yeah. And he, he asked me, like, do you, you ever listen to Robert Bly? Yeah. I'm like, no. He's like, oh, do you like the poetry of Rumi? I'm like, oh, yeah. And he, like, puts in this tape, presses play, crosses his legs, closes his eyes, meditative stance, yeah. and for the next 45 minutes, it's Sitar and Robert Bly reciting the works of Rumi over Sitar. Wow. So, doesn't say a word. Stops the tape after 45 minutes, and it's like, so how did you start making music? <laughs> and so I said, I said, yo, I started writing rhymes right after I heard uh, It's Yours by T. Rock. And he goes, oh, wow. That's the first record I ever produced. Damn. Boom. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy it's how... like full circle, really. Yeah. yeah. It's oh interesting how both of the founders of Def Jam kind of became Buddhist, like monks, kind of. Because Russell Simmons, like, like his house is... Uh, I did an interview with him. And there, it's like uh, Buddha's everywhere. Like my my, my uh, theory would be that the, you, if you snort enough cocaine, <laughs> it builds something like the Himalayas inside of you. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so cocaine takes you to Buddhism. So say, that much, and it's hard to do that much without dying. No. Okay, if you can do that much without dying. Then you are a Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, that's I don't, low key like, like the scenarios don't make it. It's like you know you find a bunch of like horrors and do a bunch of drugs and then like you find enlightenment. Light well, yeah, Siddhartha. Yeah. Siddhartha yeah. took twenty years. Yeah, Siddhartha yeah. took twenty years with like yeah with yeah. With, with with the madam prostitute and 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 that gambling one. and the whole nine. He took twenty years. You know, Just and that's after sus. he was already on his path, <laughs> but he realized that he could not achieve, you know, the heights of his path without delving into life itself. Without right. getting a little dirty. It's easy to abstain from shit if you never tried it. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> You know, so it's a careful balance. I've been finding myself, like, I grew up in the church for hell along, with a Christian private school mm -hmm. for years. I had, like, I think I know more of the Bible than I care to admit in front of, like, people. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But, uh... Like, 
I've been like really interested in like just religion and spirituality like lately. But I find myself I got a friend that's Buddhist or whatnot, and like she, how she explains Buddhism, it just means like like the, like these are the least thirsty people ever. You know, like they don't <laughs> depends. There are many sects of Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. But at know? least her yeah. and how she explains it, it's just not, not very much push, not very very much pull. Just being. What I like about you know? it is they have a concept called upaya, and it's kind of like it's just basically like. Fuck with it however it works for you. <laughs> like, it's like right whatever there. your own interpretation of it is. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I really, I was really drawn to that. I, but I was talking to, because I, I was saying before we got on there, I'm doing this big story and I, I just met with my Buddhist thought professor and from college, like, and uh, I was talking with the Beat Generation poets and I was like, yeah, you know, they had a really, and he's like, no, he's like, they had a bullshit Zen. <laughs> like, he starts going in, he's like, really? It's all bullshit. Well, because there's so many different forms of it and there's so many different interpretations. Of yeah, it was, I mean, when you think of like Ginsburg, you know, and and people like Kerouac, I think what they represented in relation to Buddhism was was pure. You know, they really, you know, like, Ginsburg really practiced spontaneous mind. I mean, like, there's a moment in his career where he stops reading poems that he wrote at readings, and he's just going. Popping off yeah, the top. no, he was really and obsessed that's, with And me. it's his guru that told him to do that. Yeah. The thing I like about But was Buddhism, that stuff good, though? Good. Was it, was it like... It's beyond good. It's, really? It's better than anything on the air right now. And I don't mean just whatever motherfuckers who listen to this. I mean, any podcast, any yeah. music, yeah, anything definitely that's better on than the air yeah. in this moment... Ginsburg was fresher than that because he would his his thing was a response to everything that was in the air. Okay. So the way that he could pick ideas and words and references and tie them together and break them apart and string them, you know, around each other, it just illuminated everything. Yeah. And that's the purity that he found, you know, through through his practice. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I was going to say uh, just that, that Buddhism at its root, I think it's cool because it kind of meets you at your level. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, you know, for example, in Christianity, you learn what that... Uh, you can never be the Christ. Never. You're a sinner saved by the grace. Da, 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 Jesus lived and died. It's, real, it's really you. just submit. Da, 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 it's just, da, da, you're the little homie forever. And, and there's a lot of shit that's lost through the misinterpretation of the Aramaic and the Hebrew, you know, mm-hmm. that was at the root, you know, because you talk about that, just submit, like repent, mm-hmm. for example. Repent comes from Latin. Pense means to think. Repent means to rethink. Mm-hmm. But that's not how they teach it in church. Yeah. They tell a nigga to repent. You'd be like, get down on your knees and beg for forgiveness, yeah. as opposed to think again. That's what repent means. Think again. Yeah. One is empowering, the other one takes away your power. Yeah. You know, Buddhism, on the other hand, like anyone can achieve becoming the Buddha. Wow. Right? Yeah. Through suffering and attainment and, 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 you know, discipline and what have you. It's, it's within everyone's power to become that. So it's interesting. Me, I don't belong to any of these groups. But That was my next but, question. I was going to say, yeah. like, what... You know, how old are you? Hmm? How old are you? Uh, I'm 10 years old. My birthday is February 29th. I've had 10 birthdays. Damn. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I want to say through that whole time that you've, I think I just did the math in my head, but through that whole time. Yeah. Like uh, how, like, have you ever had, because you, you said your father was a pastor, you know? Yeah. So have you ever like, like, you know. Have you ever been led to be like, oh, I really fuck with this religion right now, or I fuck with this way of thinking right now? Oh, like I mean, I've been led to the point of investigation, not yeah. to the point of fucking baptism or or, mm-hmm. or you know jo- joining. Yeah, I mean, like, but there's several modes of thinking. I was a philosophy major yeah. in, in in college, and I'm sincerely interested in how and why people think the way they do, and also in disciplinary and practices that are useful yeah. in life. You know, life hacks. 
you know? And so there are there's some religious ideology, ideology which is to say that comes through or from certain mm -hmm. religions. I mean, come on, I'm, Joseph Campbell said religion is like very poorly interpreted poetry. I would say that, that some poems, um, you know, they kind of age in the same way that a grape on its path to becoming wine, mm -hmm. you know, some poems when they age, they're no longer called poems. They're so pure that, you know, a thousand years later, they don't refer to it as poems. They refer to it as scripture, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know? And so you look at the writings of Lao Tzu, yeah. which may have been poems in his day. Yeah. But now when we turn to the Tao Te Ching, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting because like yeah. yeah, I was talking about Gary Snyder and like a lot of what he yeah. would do because he he was a, he was a scholar and he would uh, he learned uh, Chinese and he learned Japanese and would translate old poems from this like poet named Han Shan like mm -hmm. old you know middle you know middle aged Chinese mountain kind of hermit poems and stuff and they would do stuff like that which I find you met you met Allen Ginsberg once didn't you or yeah I met Allen Ginsberg yeah yeah I met him uh, the the year that he died I did a reading with him at NYU oh wow yeah. what was that like. Ah, uh, that was beautiful. That was me, Maggie Estep, another poet who uh, who passed last year, um, and my good friends Mike Ladd and Bo Sia. Mm -hmm. And we had a, a, I think Taylor Molly might have been there as well. And um, and so I got to read right after or right before Ginsburg, right before Ginsburg. Wow. And um, and I remember I read two poems, one called Untimely Meditations, which I noticed some people call Five Senses, and um, and another one called uh, Om. I know I read those, because I remember when I walked off stage, he uh, pulled me aside, kissed me, and was and said, uh, I, I love what you read. I, I, I didn't understand all of your references. Yeah. Of course, many of my references had to do with hip-hop, Whatever his time it was, was of like, interest to me, right? Yeah. Um, he's like, I didn't understand all of your references, but Om. He was like, Are you chanting Om? It's like, Yeah, I was, I was fully meditating at that time, and, and uh, he's like, Yeah. He's like, Well, you should continue because Om will connect your heart and crown chakra. He's like, So you should, you should continue chanting that. Yeah, he would sit and meditate for. I'm reading yeah. his letters right now with Gary Snyder, and he would sit every day for an hour in silence and just meditate, like to start off every day. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty crazy. And I did that for a, a very long time, not for an hour. Yeah, an hour is well, pretty, I, yeah, it's well, pretty crazy. I, well, I think, I think it's, it can be erroneous to get to get you know too into the idea of time or the time that you take to sit. But I took it for nine years straight. I took it as my practice to start every day with meditation, right? And I am not to get deep about it, not on some shit like Denzel Washington, some shit like put your shoes under the bed so that the first thing you do when you get out of the morning will be to get on your knees. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> I'm not saying, it wasn't that per se, you know, it was more like I wanted to take a second to, to let my thoughts go, yeah. my doubts, my preoccupations, my fears, my busyness, whatever and let those things pass just to be able to take a pure breath, yeah. right? And I'd give myself, you know, it could be I gave myself 10 minutes. I have no idea of the amount of time I sat. Which is until because you got of, right, because, basically. Well, basically, there's a moment in meditation where time, as we practice it, disappears. Mm -hmm. So I could very easily get up from sitting and be like, that was an hour. Yeah. And look at the clock. And 
14 minutes have passed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That things like that are commonplace when you're, you know, practicing meditation. Yeah, I'd find it hard to do that, man, personally. It, I mean, that would be... I found it hard, too. That was yeah. part of the challenge. That was part of the challenge. But, I mean, I, the, the other side of it was the reward, mm. you know? And the reward of, like, of, 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 of living the poem or finding, you know, the magic in every day and, 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 and really, like, cherishing encounters and conversations and, and, mm. and all this shit. It was, I had a bunch of little shit that I would practice like that, like yeah. bright foods in the morning. Okay, that's right. That simple, just like okay, before twelve o'clock, I only eat bright shit. You know, yeah. now later, and I'm joking. Now nah, would be like, hey, uh, <laughs> 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 now would be like, you know, yeah. bananas, oranges, juicing shit, da da da, da. Mm. bright shit in the morning. Yeah, yeah, and that's that sugar that gets your brain going anyway. Yeah. You, you get a you smoothie know? in the morning, you you feel yeah. top notch. I got, <laughs> I've got one ritual right now, and I didn't, I didn't do it today, but I play. Um, I, got a long, I moved back to my old neighborhood. Right. I'm in South Central. I'm off of, uh, I'm not going to say the exact streets, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've like lived on the west side. I've lived in Oakland or whatnot. So I came back home, and I feel like it's the best place to be ever. And about a block away from me is like this laundromat that I don't need to go to, but I still go to. And they have this Street Fighter cabinet. There's actually Marvel versus Capcom. I just go there with one quarter, and I play that shit. Like I, like I did when I like was 14, you know? Do it every... Every day, and it kind of teaches me like, like I've been doing like a lot of business dealings and all that stuff. And by playing this game, I realize like, oh, this is how I behave when I feel like I'm, you know, uh, when I'm being attacked. This is how I behave when I when I'm attacking. This is how I behave when I feel like I'm way up. This is how I behave when I feel like I'm down to that last sliver of life. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And I've been using that. That's like been yeah. my meditation. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It really I like works. You found another Street Fighter because he was he was playing it on at this other arcade on Vermont right here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you found the other the other. No, and they're both on Vermont too. It's <laughs> <laughs> your umbilical cord. Yeah, yeah, one's by my uncle's house, one's by my house. Yeah. That's tight. Yeah. Oh, dude, I gotta tell you the story before we get into all right, it. This is- all right, so. All right, so you know Thavius Beck, right? Yeah, that's my man. Yeah, that's my brother. That's the first person. Um, actually, we're on the same record. It was on Thavius' record. Yep. Um, that's the first person. Thavius that, like, Beck, amazing producer. Amazing. Um, from Minneapolis originally. Mm-hmm. Um, just extremely talented. I met Thavius. I don't remember when I met Thavius. I met Thavius here in L.A. Um, soon as I met him, was like, "Yo, can we?" Because uh... as soon as you hear that, as soon <laughs> yes, as you hear that, it's exactly. like, "Oh, what is that?" Because no one, even exactly. to this day, you can play his beats, back, like A B with any any yeah, beat scene on, dude. He's on your first record, right? He's on my first record, yeah. and he's also on my. Um, I did a whole EP with him, but then his record, yeah, I did, I did a song about my father's death on that record. It was, I forgot what what was the name of it. Um, uh, not not to, I remember remember the title of the song, but basically. I was hanging out with him and subtitle a lot. Yeah. This is when I first kind of like, you know, uh, got into like the alt side of the LA underground. Yeah, whatnot. man. So, uh, Sub, uh, he went on tour in Europe, I think it was 2005. So, yeah, it was 2005. And one of the first shows was Amsterdam. It was at Paradiso. And I think okay. our, our tours crossed. Yeah. Because it was like you, I think they was in the band that you had. Yeah. And so we're down, we're downstairs. And me, I've never, you know, I've, at this point, I've only been to Mexico. You know right. what I'm saying? I've never left this side of the world, so uh, I was just like tripping out that I met I met you, and then like I, I think like we were like ciphering, and you were like, "All right, let's rap." But the night before, or maybe two nights before, I was in uh, in Rotterdam, 
and I kept eating these fucking goat cheese sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) These goat cheese, honey, and cucumber sandwiches. That sounds good. It sounds good, right? It was amazing. I ate like two or three that night. And so we're like ciphering or what, and I was like, dude, I'm ciphering with Saul Williams, but then I get the bubble guts. Oh, no. (laughs) So like, I'm like, all right, cool, I'm out of here. I was, you know, run to the bathroom. And I'm like, well, not, not run. I, sl- I smoothly try to try to walk away. I'm like, <laughs> cut the corner. And then I kind of shit my pants. But it does, I don't really <laughs> shit. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, I, I, I go and I like, I, I do a quick fucking, you know, operation, you know, you know, take the drawers off or whatnot. And it's just like, it's just all grease. It's just all, it's just like fucking, oh, it just looks like fucking man. sriracha. I'm sorry for discussing you, but this is a hilarious story. All right, story. I'll add the story to this. this <laughs> beyond, I'll add the story to this, all right? Oh, uh, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, so, you know, they have showers in the venue or whatnot. Uh, so I showered up and then I did my show. And I was just like, man, I wonder how many people this has happened to. Like, yo, because they, like, they pranked yo. you. I feel like they set me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, nah, it happens, man. I, nah, I know I they set show, me up. I had a show in Atlanta once <laughs> during the Nicky Tardis tour. I had a yeah. show in Atlanta, and I was hyped. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I was really hyped, but I was sick at that moment in the tour, which is mm. kind of like food poisoning. No, just on like, like coffee tour shit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like it's been fucking three weeks, and I'm not sleeping right. And, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> so I'm on stage. First song, I let out this belt from my gut, singing uh. and feel something. Oh, sh- right, yeah. And I'm certain that it's happened. <laughs> and this is like the first song. I got to make it through the whole show, and <laughs> and what I'm on is like, don't turn your back to the audience. <laughs> it was like yo uh, yo I, it, and it was a hardcore ass show and so I was just like oh fuck at, at some point in the show I was like fuck it and I'm like singing uh-huh. but I'm thinking like fuck I it shit myself. I shit myself that's rock and roll <laughs> yeah. da, 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 you know I'm still having to turn my back though show ends I run off stage go to the bathroom nothing okay that's pretty tight that's like yeah. a distraction like yeah. it's one of those things that like uh if it happens, and you probably had an amazing show yeah, because you I weren't thinking about having an amazing show. I felt all the, I imagined all the shit during the show. Like, holy fuck, this is disgusting. This is, this is, a, <laughs> it was none of it. Yeah, yeah. You went to school in Atlanta, right? Under yeah, I went to Morehouse. Yeah, what was that like? Uh, were you connected to the hip hop scene? Because that probably Big was like time. right when the you know Outkast that, that, was first. That was right. Like, that was right before Outkast. Uh huh. All right. So was but the bass movement still kind of the bass movement big time? You gotta explain the bass movement to me because I don't really know what that is. What's the bass? Um, movement? That, I mean that's that doo doo brown. Let me. Oh see yeah, my, that, booty that, bass. That, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. That Miami and Kilo Atlanta. Kilo Wally was yeah. like MC Shady. That boom, that yeah. boom. Okay, cool. Like that boom. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, Jermaine Dupri did like a so so dove like yeah. bass all stars in the late nineties. That was kind of like a tribute. I remember to, that, but I just called it booty bass because that's like where yeah 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 that's where like we when we were young like. That girl's shaking her ass yeah, a lot. It was interesting because it came from yeah. LA via uh, the guys from from Egyptian Lover and then the guys from Two Live Crew. So yeah, because those, 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 those from Two Live Crew, they're from the IE, right? Or one yeah, of them. They was. were from the no, I think two of them were from I think like, mm. Fresh, uh, not like a Fresh Kid, I, or one of them, the half Asian one. Yes, he was mm. from, and uh, another one was, and Luke was a promoter in Miami. So apparently, what I what Egyptian Lover told me was that. They booked him for a show, Egyptian Lover for a show in Miami. 
Luke's it was like a Luke, Luke booked him and was like, "Whoa, that is that shit." Yeah. Then uh, he brought back when Rodney and Jokuli they had Everlasting Bass, which was on Egyptian Empire Records. Brought that over to Miami again for a show. That kind of kicked off the bass thing. Luke did it, the whole thing, you know, all the you know all yeah, that yeah. Miami stuff, and then it kind of spread to Atlanta, and then it was. Kind of, Atlanta had its own MCs with its own kind of yeah it was, it was huge at the time to the point where like we were from New York and we would always go to like the clubs the yeah. skating rink and just be like holy shit when they started playing the Atlanta music we'd be like that like oh they playing mind the blown oh you was it a was it a welcome thing I'm talking about 92 I'm talking about like the high point of hip hop you know mm -hmm. like so like yeah like Trap Called Quest is yeah in, all yeah. that shit yeah. you know what I'm saying versus mm -hmm. the bass music you yeah. know and um and so at that time I was a party promoter because like I, I was I was I would go home for the holidays or whatever back to New York and there was a club that I had loved in New York called Soul Kitchen mm -hmm. which played all the classic shit that people sampled yeah and uh, and so it was at SOBs they had like free chicken wings and, and 40s and they just play soul classics, but it's one of those first soul classics parties that were based on what people were sampling. Hey, can you, you know? move out to LA and do that right now? Yo, <laughs> so we could just so have fresh forties and chicken. Like it'd it be so many white kids there, yo, so weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it'd be but fun. It <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was amazing. And so, uh, so I had the idea of like bringing that to Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and so, um, and so I got all these DJs together um and uh and some friends and, and we uh and we started like this soul collective and we called the party soul mm -hmm. sol and um and from there like one of our djs for example for the reggae set because he was a big reggae dj at the time was lil john oh really yeah lil john was was an, a huge established dj mm -hmm. for reggae yeah, and so that was at the Royal Peacock in Atlanta. Did he have dreads back then? Long dreads. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's funny. Yeah, okay. this dance hall and crunk, like you can kind of see yeah. like a connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love <laughs> I love hearing those stories and when like you know people, because I feel like you know uh, it, it always really works like this, and I, I I like to think of it like when I think of like Oakland or whatnot, how like you know digital underground had you know there was pot kind of in digital underground and there's like e40 and mac dre and vallejo and all these people's like paths cross and you never as too. a fan in master p oh, you never really know this shit that crossed there we were Until, i mean you know, soul messiah i can't mm -hmm. even i can't name how many people i'm pretty sure everybody came through and mm -hmm. and that became the atlanta massive shit out of those like the, the soul parties and then mm -hmm. also we had a collective called red clay mm -hmm. we created this magazine um and we would had like these gatherings and that for instance there was always this girl that would come mm -hmm. who wasn't in school there but would come play her guitar and so we invited her to come play her guitar at our gathering and it's and fucking shit. beyonce no no and that's in the re i know yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. shit like that <laughs> that's yeah, crazy I mean, tlc yeah. is like coming goody mob obviously it's an interesting time yeah. for atlanta i mean it's that was a joy kind of, it's joy is yeah the well tupac i think was time, tupac you know? was living in atlanta which is i always find one of the most interesting yeah, things yeah. in the tupac biography is like he just had a home in Atlanta in like 1993. Like he was yeah. one of the. I mean, that was. It's probably a peaceful place to be. Hell no, Atlanta. Was <laughs> it wasn't the peaceful. No, no, no. I mean, if you consider strip clubs and 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 you know, yeah. College Park peaceful. Well, that's where. Well, Tupac, that, that's, that's where Tupac shot that's, the off-duty officer. That's pe that's peaceful in terms of like if you're in L 
if you're in LA, if you're in New York, in terms of like the busyness versus like that's where you go, like, oh, this is fun. Like I can go to these parties oh, no, man. and soak it up. And all that that shit was hectic. Really? Oh my god, it was hectic. You couldn't yeah. walk down the street with a girl, first of all. Really? You could not. There's always cats trying to punk you. You know, in big old hoopies pulling up beside the shit, yeah. gun shown, like, yo, what's up, Sean? Oh. You talking to the girl? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It didn't matter. Like, I'm sure it wasn't just me, mm-hmm. you know? And I'd be like, see, for some reason, the, I thought, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it was always some, you know, but it was everywhere. It was, it was crazy. It was, it was, it was wild. Okay. I was in my mind. I'm thinking. Cops. Yeah. I'm, in my mind, yeah. I'm just thinking it was just like just fun. I didn't. I, I didn't feel, even know yeah. about that. It was that fun. element. It was it, fun, know? but it was hood. I mean, I was used to it. I came from that, so it was like mm-hmm. okay, it continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the town you grew up in, I think I read somewhere. So yeah, like, uh, like the highest crime ratio or in like, New York State. In, yeah, yeah Newburgh, New York. Yeah. Yeah. Newburgh. Yeah. Okay. What part of New York State is like sixty miles out of? Yeah, it's sixty miles like outside of New York City. Yeah, like Poughkeepsie or. Yes. Poughkeepsie's our rival town thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, Poughkeepsie, I heard. Poughkeepsie's near us. Yeah. Fuck okay. Poughkeepsie. I hear Poughkeepsie. Uh, no, no, I heard yeah. Poughkeepsie was pretty rough too. Yeah. Poughkeepsie's Poughkeepsie rough. Too. Yeah. You know, they they, they try. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, you know, like when we had basketball games or football games against Poughkeepsie, there'd be riot police or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like it was known that it was about to go down. Did you play yeah. sports in high school? I played basketball. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What position? Uh, I played forward. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Was that? What did you? What was that? Like, did, were you? With like sports, like also like a really early passion in your life as well, or not yeah, I played soccer, I played tennis. Um, when I lived in Brazil, I played tennis. I played soccer up until I moved to Brazil when I was sixteen and and got slide tackled and and broke both of my wrists at the same what? time. What like it's a very dangerous play. Um, no, like, it was a fucked up play. I was I tried to catch myself mm-hmm. from the I stole the. Imagine me, this kid from New York. I'm in Brazil oh, yeah. playing with my heroes, like playing soccer in Brazil, a pickup game. Yeah. You know, in Brazil, I'm like, oh, I'm about to show. I steal the ball. I'm about to fucking like, I'm, I'm, I'm there. It's me <laughs> and the goalie. Yeah. And of course, I don't see the kid who runs from behind and slides, and I'm like, pops it. Yeah. Up in the air, try to catch myself, break both wrists, yeah. and um, and they're like, they're and like, I'm like, fucking quebrado, quebrado, quebrado. Yeah. I had learned to say broken, but they thought I was pointing to my watch. And so, uh, so how long before they they figured I, it out? It's cool. They, I, somebody jumped me in a car. It was a Sunday, so like the hospital wasn't mm-hmm. open. I had to go to a doctor's office, go to doctor's house, wake up the doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, all that shit was crazy. That's like, I, I didn't know you stayed in Brazil. I was Sixteen was crazy. Did you move there with your family, or did you move no, there I was solo? An exchange student. Okay. Like, uh, my sister had done it um, when when she's seven or eight years older than me mm-hmm. and um she had done it when i was in third grade so i was always like yo i'm gonna do that yeah i'm gonna go be an exchange student and yeah. so she went to brazil i went to brazil um and and when i arrived in the city that i was gonna live in which is in the state of paraná small city called goyo um in fact for high school they only had night school mm-hmm. because if you're a high school age you're expected to be working in the fields during the day really what kind of fields uh they were growing all types of things from from sugar um, to vegetables. Just, you know. What city were you crops. in? Goyo Ereri. Very oh. small city. Farm town. Mm-hmm. You know? And a, I lived with a family that owned sugar plantations. Yeah. Which was bizarre. That's deep. But, well, <laughs> deeper than that because the sugar plantations they owned was for alcohol, which the cars run on there. Yeah. So they were making a gas from the sugar 
This, yeah. yeah, a long time ago. A long time ago, yeah. Brazil was running on that. That running on that. Yeah. So, um, which is to say that our whole relationship to oil and all—I mean, like it's yeah. so erroneous. So you knew that was bullshit, like twenty. Oh years hell ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So then, and you, after uh, you went to Morehouse, and then afterwards you went to um, then NYU, went to NYU, right? NYU. Yeah. yeah. And then, and that's when the whole like poetry underground hip hop shit was popping. How did you get into the New Yorkian uh, cafe kind of scene? Uh, well, the first thing I got into was was just the open mic thing, right? And uh, and so I got into that by doing a student film where I met a girl who was like, my boyfriend's doing a reading. Uh, is doing a. You should go check it out. I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. Mm-hmm. She was but, just trying to get her gets people to see her boyfriend and I read was, some. I was, yeah. And yeah, I'm that's a good girl. Interested in going to see her again, and um, and sus, <laughs> so, and I sus got Williams, there. Williams, no. <laughs> I got there, and um, and the poets that were reading were people like uh, Asha Bendeli, Tish Benson, Suhair Ahmad, Mumsa Schemer, um, Dante Smith, who became Yasin Bey, mm. um, Talib Kweli. Um, Israel Takuma, Wood Harris, there were all these people reading poems there, and I was just like amazed by what I was seeing because it seemed like the shit that I was had in my journal, but I didn't know there was an avenue for that, and I didn't consider myself writing poetry. I was just collecting thoughts and ideas. Yeah. And because this is mid-'90s and hip-hop has taken that fork in the road where the gangster shit has gotten commercial and the shit that was fresh has become labeled underground or conscious or backpack or whatever so it's a birth of the underground it's a birth of Def Jux and Lyricist Lounge and all this shit you know what I'm saying yeah. and um, and I'm like oh this is where they all went this yeah. is where all the lyricists went you know what I'm saying and so I watched that poetry reading I loved it and was like yo if I ever find one of those again I'm going back so that might have been in October or September of 94 Mm-hmm. And I, the first time I encountered another poetry reading was March of 95. Damn. And I had just finished writing my first poem, which was called Amethyst Rocks. And, yeah. um, yeah. So, so yeah. wasn't like, I heard like always, like wasn't MF Doom showing up there too, like in a stocking cap? That's like the, the myth. I'm, I'm sure he was. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, I'm, yeah. Common, Pharaoh, there's so many cats that yeah. were at poetry readings. Yeah. And were fed. And were they like, uh, were they participating or were they? Some of them were. Some of them were, but I mean, you have to understand that these readings, in many of the cases, they were not, you know, all rap-based, they were not all black, they were not all male, they were really diverse. You had all types of people. You had people, teenagers, you know, getting bullied or trying to come out of the closet. You had people who were there because they were inspired by, you know, the work of Ani DeFranco or, or, you know, or Bob Dylan, plus, you know, the rap kids and older, you know, leftover beat poets or revolutionary poets and what have you. It was a really diverse grouping, Mm -hmm. but because of hip hop's popularity, our ears were tuned into lyricism in a fresher way. Yeah. So you had hip hop heads in the audience, like, oh, I like how they did that, you know, like, yeah, really soaking up, game. yeah, just soaking it up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I entered like that. The, you know, the, the first poetry reading I hit was not the New Yorkian; it was a place called the Brooklyn Moon, and that's where I reconnected with with Yasin and with Talib and and people like Erica, uh, right, uh, Badu, mm-hmm. um, tons of people. 
from there, Jessica Caramore. Uh, and so, yeah, that was all dead press. They were all in the poetry reading. Were they? Some of them were going to NYU. Was was Quali going to NYU at the time, or did most Quali, staff go to? Was Quali at NYU or Columbia? Lauren was at Columbia. Um, I don't remember what school Quali was at. I knew him from the bookstore he worked at. Mm-hmm. It's a place called Inkuru Books on Fulton. Didn't they end up buying it or something? Yeah, I think, him yeah. and most ended up buying it, but. Um, but at first, he just worked in the bookstore. Mm-hmm. And so we were hanging out at the Brooklyn Moon Fridays, and he was like, well, you I'm going to start doing something on Thursdays. Come to the bookstore. And so we started hanging out at the bookstore. Yeah. And I remember, like, you know, Lord Jamar was there. I remember going to the readings at at, at uh, Yassine's mother's uh, boutique, like, in the basement of that, and, like, Mace from Daylight would be DJing. It would be, like, yeah. 20 of us. Part of Wu Tang would be there, and we all just be like spitting verses. Yeah, so it'd be half poetry reading, half like cipher. Or like yeah, it was, it was it'd be like no beat, watch, yeah. like nothing to hide behind. Yeah. And so, and 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 for me, like I'd been writing rhymes for for quite some time by then, um, and so I was interested in what I could do without the imagined beat, and so started playing initially just mm-hmm. around the idea of like, well, shit, if there's no beat. I can change rhyme patterns. I can not rhyme. I can, you know, extend this idea until it gets to here, then bring it back to this, you know, imaginary rhythm. I can do, there was so much more freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That that takes me to another, one of my two, my, my two Saul Williams stories. One is, um, I used to battle rap a lot. Yeah. Know? And um, at, there was, there was this little, like, changing of the guards in, like, 2007, 2008. It was changing the style. It went from, on a beat, on stage with the microphone, tournament style to like how it is now, which was acapella prize fight kind of yeah. things. And I remember, which is very like spoken word slam influence oh, now. But I recently watched a rap so. battle. I was like, oh really? That's how you battle now? Yeah. Well, I asked you for some <laughs> advice. You were at low end when Thavius played, uh, and it was during sound check. And I was like, dude, man, I fucking hate acapella battles, dude. Like, because I was talking about like structure, and you're like, ah, no structure. Just just do what you want. And then I was like, all right, cool. I tried that shit. And then after that, I didn't. I didn't take an L for a long time. Yeah, yeah it was really, you won really good advice. Oh, for sure. He won Scribble Jam. Yeah, there you go. I won a lot of shit, but <laughs> that, but that, like the acapella shit, really intimidated me, though. You know, just because, um, you know, I got into that at the lunch table, man. Really? I mean, way earlier. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I got into that because it was like we would battle every day at the lunch table. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like junior high school, high school. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Um, and at that point, I was writing rhymes like every night. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, Fresh um, brain, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just on some all types of shit. And, uh, and I started getting into the wordplay then. And I started feeling like, I felt like the, a lot of the beatboxers were whack. I wasn't always feeling the beats on the table. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, and so I'd just be like, no beat, no beat, no beat. Check this out. And so I started getting into that as a battle rapper. I started asking for no beat so that they could hear the way I was playing without hearing some cap. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I, you know, much so you, respect to the beatboxes. <laughs> you know? yeah, everyone can't be Bismarcky. <laughs> you know, everyone can't be Razel. Everyone can't be. But I mean, like you know, I didn't yeah. grow up with no Razels. You know what I'm saying? I didn't grow up with no. <laughs> That's a rare special. skill. It's a lot of dudes that can run, yeah. but it's not a lot of dudes that can beatbox. That, like, you know, I know a dude yeah. from San Diego. Yeah, I've know a guy from San Diego. Yeah. The only guy that can say, like, damn, he's got a tight B-box. Everybody else is just, like, 
It's just a kick and a snare, really. And, and also, cats would do weird things, like you know, like there's an etiquette. There should be like, like don't, <laughs> don't look me in the eye when you're beatboxing. Well, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to laugh. You know, cats who stare you in the eye and they're looking as if just it's like when you're drinking from a straw and look somebody in the eye. Like don't look anybody in the eye. At that time, it just it's just a little bizarre. It's so, it's so, yeah. so it would get in the way because I'm trying not to laugh and shit. Yeah, <laughs> Oh shit, beatbox etiquette. So, I wonder if beatboxing is ever gonna like come. Everything has come full circle. Man, I'm waiting for that Bobby McFerrin shit to come back. Man. <laughs> Dude, Yo, you know his son released the record. Taylor McFerrin. Yeah, I, yeah, I follow him, good. man. Nah, he's yeah. dope. Nah, I've been I've been listening to some you know like we know don't worry be happy yeah but like I listen to stuff like uh, there's that album Circle Songs mm -hmm. or uh, or Sweet in the Morning mm -hmm. or uh, the thing he did with Chick Corea of, of that Miles Davis Sketches of Spain thing mm -hmm. he has, he's an amazing instrument yeah too. amazing instrument that shit is awesome yeah I don't know if that'll ever come back yeah I mean that's not something that can go or come back that's just something that is and you achieve it yeah. But like or, the vessel, the like you know, there's yeah. a Bobby McFerrin. I don't know, man. Like, like we talk about open mics, right? That was right. a whole thing. I grew up going to a Project Blow. That an yeah, open yeah, mic, yeah. that was my shit. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. It'll you know? come back. It's always in cycles and circles. You know what I'm saying? It'll come yeah. back. Yeah, but a beatboxer, like, or a dude that's like a like a vocal vocal musician, like you know, uh, Bobby McFerrin or some shit. That that I would love to see that. 2016. I mean, you think of uh, what's that dude, Reggie Watts? Oh yeah, he's yeah. got a little Bobby McFerrin in him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right then. Next, <laughs> next subject. I was gonna say so <laughs> you're doing this, and then you just basically got cast in Slam around the same time, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So when I did e eventually go to the New Yorkin from the Brooklyn Moon, um, and I went there because some cats from the Brooklyn Moon were like, "Yo, you should check that spot in Manhattan." Mm -hmm. New and yo, they have these things called slams there. It's it's you do the same thing. It's just it's a three minute limit, and but there's awards and maybe you get published or some shit. Like you should try it. Mm -hmm. And so me, a few of us from Brooklyn Moon decided one week we're all gonna go over venture into Manhattan and check this shit out. Yeah, and um, we ended up winning. And easy up, money. It was a little bit of money, you know what I'm saying? I mean, but it was also, uh, but no, like we, we ended up winning. Like this, yeah. like we, we went over to Manhattan and we served them, and then yeah. we went. Like, and we served, them, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And we and we got to go. Uh, I wasn't actually cool with the idea of competing with poetry, to tell you the truth. Really? Um, but I just thought of it in terms of okay, I'll read a poem within three minutes. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I was really into the idea of sharing. Nice, you know. Um, and so whatever the format, that was cool. So did that, and uh, and so the the director of Slam was in the audience, and approached me maybe six months later, saying, "I've been following you, and uh, and I'd like you to write this film for me." Oh, I, but I was in grad school for acting, yeah. and I was like, "I ain't writing shit yeah. if I can't. I don't know shit about writing. I write for myself. I study acting. Yeah, you yeah, should yeah. be asking me to act." No, How about both? Like, no, nah, yeah. he wanted me to write. Yeah, Bones Malone was supposed to act, and Bones got locked up, and Bones was like, "Do yeah. should act." Mm -hmm. And so, and after that, it was pretty much you didn't go to Sundance and winning at Sundance. Yeah, and all that shit. Yeah. Sundance, Cannes, and around the world, and and that led to. I signed Rick before Slam came out. Um, I signed a book deal with with 
MTV books before Slam came out, but all in that spin of, of really the, the, the thing in New York started happening before Slam. Yeah. It was like 96 for me, that moment of like winning at the New Yorican and, and mm. becoming this local thing in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Slam is 98. Like it took a, the, the moment of, of just being like the local. You were already on. You were already on, already basically. On and, in and Slam was just a, like yeah. uh, the. The big national it, it remind that reminds me yeah. of like thinking that uh, that crump the crump thing that yeah. uh, that what you call that David Lachapelle did like yeah. that video came out way after way after like crump was popping yeah <laughs> like, was you know you, every yeah. every every party you go to there was like yeah. battles and all that stuff going on and then by the time Rise came out it was almost like like things were changing after that you know? right was exactly. that the same way with Slam not exactly but because. The film Slam ended up introducing the the concept of Slam to the world, mm-hmm. and so after that, I traveled to like maybe forty countries wow. for their first Slam with local poets and rappers getting together. You know, like Slam was really uh, accessible to people, mm-hmm. to teachers, students, kids. You know, it became a, an amazing tool for English or any language professors mm-hmm. to get their kids interested in language. Yeah. Instead of dealing with a bunch of dead, boring authors, I was at a know? continuation school. My yeah. teacher, my English teacher, had a poetry class after she showed us that. Yeah, that video. It was exactly. like a bunch of bunch of knuckleheads and like you know fucking cholos and like pregnant chicks. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like we're gonna watch this, and you know two of us became rappers. So yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. After that, I, that, that, but that was the purpose of Slam. Mm-hmm. Like consciously, because of what we were feeling in Brooklyn when the opportunity came to do Slam, my first thought was. All I want to do is plant a seed in this film so that whoever encounters it will have that spark of exploration where they realize that they have the potential mm. to to think, speak, spell mm. their way into or out of, mm. you know, the reality that they wish to conjure. Like, there's a power in that. And so there's yeah. so much conscious language and imagery in that film that yeah. was it was divinely directed towards cast a spell basically yeah consciously Mm -hmm. I was literally like there will be cats in continuation schools that will need you know that will Mm -hmm. get a chance to see this film and this will be the thing that like that was the thought Mm -hmm. yeah I mean that's interesting because I I feel like that is kind of in the modern world that we live in it's almost the only way like I feel Mm -hmm. like via music like people will get into poetry a lot of the time whereas Mm -hmm. Poetry, or, or or it'll actually sell. Co- it can be commercial. Like I think of David Berman of the Silver Jews, who's a yeah. really great poet as well. And but he, you know, he had or John Darnell is like an amazing writer. I mean, there is like a, a really interesting tradition of uh, yeah, of you know, poet writing. But the cycles of popularity of poetry, you know, that's yeah. always special. It always takes some time. You know, yeah. like we came after the, the you know twenty something years after the 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 revolutionary, you know black power poets and all that yeah. who came 20 years after the the beat poets mm-hmm. and all that who came 20 years after the Harlem Renaissance poets so maybe it's cycles of 20 yeah, I'm yeah. not sure did you ever get to spend any time with uh, Mary Baraka a lot of time yeah yeah I also got to speak at his funeral um, but what was beautiful about spending time with him or any of those cats was was just how committed they were to to what they saw in and of the world and in and of their work and and stayed on that. Like these guys I mean Amiri Baraka was was someone who was just so purely a poet 
Marx's clear thinking, so intellectual, so far ahead. Like I was reading a poem of his recently where he was talking about how a typewriter is corny. He was like, who thought of that? Typewriter is corny. He was like, you know, like why, why is it flat? Like that, why is the keyboard flat? Like if you tilted it a bit up on the ends, like mm. an arc, we could do shit with our elbows and really express what the fuck we need to say. Yeah. Like who says it has to be this linear flat shit? Like you could shape it any way. Yeah. Why is it like, so he was comparing it to other instruments and how the shape of an instrument can bring out something in you holding a Cora, thumb piano, like a guitar. Like an upright bass or something. Upright yeah. bass. Like yeah. who says that the typewriter has to be like this? We might express ourselves more fully if we could use more of our bodies to type. Yeah. You know, he's just, you know, it's like Allen Ginsberg's another one, like my Andrew, like Audrey Lord. Yeah. Like, that just reminds me of, yeah, because uh, I mean, yeah. in Ginsberg's letters, like he was talking about, oh, like, he loved him. Yeah. Like he back when he was like Leroy Jones and he yeah. was getting busted and he was like, the, you know, yeah. a lot of money. Wait, wait who was Leroy Jones? <laughs> Mary Brock was Leroy Jones okay. before he changed his name, before Malcolm X was assassinated. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so ignorant yeah. on it. But um, that what what you're talking about, like how he's talking about how like the design of the typewriter. I, I just like how like art influences people that don't do that. Like if you talk to like architects, I, I've always talked to like kids that yeah, are in man. architecture, architecture school that are on Molly at a fucking rave, and they're just like, this is just like my brain is working in lines, and like you know, like hearing a poem like that, like. Well, yeah, the, the, the next dude, thing is to, to do is like, oh, dude, why not go home and make? I do this for a living. Why course, not go home and Gaudi, make? Look at what Gaudi did in Barcelona and throughout throughout Spain, for example. I mean, that's that's mushrooms. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you, if you have any question about that, just go see it. Yeah, that's that's pure mushrooms building this cathedral, this Catholic cathedral. That's mushrooms. Yeah, you yeah. You see it. <laughs> you know what he knows. What 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 his influences are the same way. You know, fucking uh, Freud was taking coke. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, I was more like referring you know, to like the art influence yeah, you know, in those but, dudes too. Yeah, yeah you know? but what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about, I'm not, don't mean to shift it towards the idea of drug influence. What mm -hmm. I'm talking about though is that, uh, is, is, is it really like one art? Art can have its effect on those people, but the, in the same way, it's like science fiction has also played that role. Mm -hmm, like we are beholden to science fiction for much of the technology that we have. It was science fiction writers who wrote these fantasies about the possibilities that we might be able to have in the future world. And then give us the enabled, expectations yeah, too. Gave us the expectations, but you but those same architects and engineers read those books and were like, I think I could do that. Or maybe if you, they had to be inspired by something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was the fantasy exploration that, I mean, you had to remember science fiction used to be held in the porno pornography sections of stores. I didn't even know that. Science fiction stories were in the back of pornography books. People didn't know what to do with fantasy in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's Genghis Khan or something, you know what I'm saying? Otherwise they didn't know what to do with that. And it was labeled as pornography as first. That's funny. That means yeah. like it's like people whoever whoever labeled as pornography thought it was just like these are these are sick thoughts and this, needs, this, to, <laughs> this needs to be repercussions <laughs> of, <laughs> in this nation. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I was gonna say um, I was gonna fast forward a while uh, because you know I know you have a show later and yeah we and uh, got it going. Um, so I wanted to talk about Tupac obviously because you know. We're in LA, and I wrote a book on Tupac, and you obviously played yeah. him, and all if you hear me, and what I didn't play him. Oh, so you want me to? Yeah, please, that? please, yeah, yeah. Um, Holler if you hear me was a a play that was um, 
that was inspired and, and that used Tupac lyrics mm-hmm. to write a story. Tupac told lots of stories, lots of fictions mm-hmm. in his in his, you know, rhymes. Lots of stories of like Brenda had a baby, da, da, you know what I'm saying? He he told stories. Mm-hmm. And um and so the writer, Todd Kreidler, listened to all these songs and pulled stories from those stories. Yeah. So wrote a story of a dude who uh who is going to prison, who draws comics, who gets out of prison, has been drawing a lot of comics, and the play is really his comic book come to life. Wow. And and what it is is him coming home, trying to stay out of you know nonsense, and and the magnetism that draws him back in, and he's trying to change himself, and inadvertently he ends up changing the community. That's tight. That's what it's about, and it's about gang violence in the Midwest, and and gang meaning police gangs as well. Yeah, what's the, what city was it based in? Just so just Midwest USA. So okay, and it, and so and so the, I mean, let's look at it like this: it the play ended on Broadway a week before Michael Brown was murdered, right? Yeah. The argument against the play was that it, you know, like we were competing against, you know, like Cinderella, Rocky the Musical. You know, a bunch of like... A bunch of shit that doesn't matter. No, I'm not saying it doesn't matter because entertainment matters. But it's like escapist entertainment. And, like, and, yeah. and even escapism is important. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And, and Motown and Kinky Boots, all those things are not, you know, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, all those things are not escape. But there is a sense that people in America, people in America may be less apt. Certain people in America who go to Broadway shows may not want to see a reflection of their inner cities on Broadway. Yeah. Hedwig and the Angry Inch is political, but it ain't happening in America. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's political stuff, ha- you know what I'm saying? But but when it comes down to like scrutinizing what, are, what role are you playing in the nonsense that's going on in this country, people don't necessarily want to pay for that. Yeah. And it was exactly about what happened to Michael Brown a week later. Yeah. So extremely relevant yeah. and, 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 and surreal, the scope of that play. And of course, Tupac would be in that position of, of predicting some shit and having a play inspired by him. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful gift for his family yeah. to see, you know, for, for Fanny Shakur, for example, to see her son's work risen to that level and all that that means in, you know, the American spectrum of entertainment and the great white way and all yeah. this stuff. It was beautiful for the family as well. Yeah. Well, the interviews you gave about, about Tupac's music and kind of interpretation, I thought, you know, it was a lot of stuff that um, I thought, you know, when I was yeah. writing it and, and kind of a lot of stuff that I don't think had been said very much about his music where I, I liked what you were saying, how a lot of people always qualify, you know, Tupac, oh, well, he's... He was a great communicator with this, but he's not a great rapper the way like Biggie is, and it's it's silly because people are crazy yeah. when they say that. It's like when people say Mayweather fights are boring. I look at that shit and I be like, this shit is math. He's yeah. beating yeah. the yeah. dog he's shit out of this dude. Yeah, it's like, yeah. And it's like 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 uh, as a rapper personally, I really hate wordplay. I really hate so like right. over, you over use of similes. You, you think it's easy? You're like, yeah. Oh, but when somebody can just say, like, there's a battle rapper from New York named Goods, and he's just like, this happened, that happened, that happened. And everybody's like, my face just exploded. And it's just because he's using fucking yeah. truth. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Exactly. And it's the best weapon. No, there's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. I like that you point that out. There's beautiful ways in which that happens. I like Tom York, for example, as, mm-hmm. a, as a writer. You know, like or Women and Children First or, or mm-hmm. UN Whose Army, like where he takes these colloquialisms, these things that we all say. Mm-hmm. And puts them in the framework of a song. It's the same way. It's more, you know, like it's another thing that's really simple and also like, how the fuck did you do that? Yeah. You know, Pac was someone who who told the truth, 
but also who freaked it in terms of his storytelling. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And also, I think Pac had something a lot of us didn't have just because how much he navigated around the country during yes. the early years of hip-hop. Yeah. So he had that Baltimore shit, which gave him that D.C. shit, that yeah. Go-Go shit and all that. He had that New York shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, he was like MC yeah. New York was his first yep. rap name. Yep, then he had, he had that shit. Then he had the Oakland and the Bay Area shit. He was listening for the Texas shit and all mm -hmm. that type of stuff so that he acts actually just had more influenced than those of us who had on our blinders who were like, I only listen to the shit from here. You know, yeah, like yeah, as yeah. a New Yorker, I was guilty of that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't fucking with no LA shit for a minute. I was on the same shit. Yeah. I'm gonna be every, I'll be honest, like I wasn't listening to anything from the East. I went, and, I, and I got into the Bay shit by going to the Bay. But even right. hearing that shit, I'd be like, this shit is weird. Until you're there. And Until you're sitting you're there. in the car. Like the same way I was talking about the Atlanta stuff or mm -hmm. something like that. Pac had spent time in all of those regions and tuned into that there. And so by the time he hit the airwaves, he had so many styles in him. It's crazy, actually. Yeah, he was ready to be a national act. Yeah, yeah, ready for it. Yeah, and I mean, I always think of that one song. Uh, I think I think it's called "Old School," or I, I might be missing. Where he starts chatting out the the New York rappers. That Yo, he that's the shit. Yeah. The one over. Have you heard that over the like ska beat? Uh, I don't think I've heard it over the ska beat. Yo, he kills that rap. Yeah, he's talking all about New York and New yeah. York rap. I'm just, She's a real, yeah, and as a New Yorker, you hear that you're like, oh, he's calling out real New York shit. Yeah. yeah. Where do you, some, where do you think some he new shit that's in the in fucking the source right now? This is right, like right. all the OGs. Well, yeah. I always uh, the you other have thing to too be is there to know type shit. I found like an old source that I had, I think from like '93 or '94 or something, and they asked Tupac what what your favorite his favorite album of all time was, and he said uh, Ghetto Boys grip that on an, on another level. There you go. Which yeah, his Texas shit. Was was yeah definitely there. Well, and there was that state trooper that thing where the the, yeah. the guy blamed from hearing Tupacalypse now. Like they tried to blame, he tried to blame Tupac for the murder in like 1992. Yeah, like just because it was too. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Easy, easy he was out. in prison when that happened. He had to go to court, like be extradited from prison to go to court for that. That's got to be. That's got to make you just pissed off. Like, dude, I didn't do anything. Like, I'm in jail right now. You ever watch his interview in prison during that time? I'm pretty sure I I saw it. Watch yeah. it. It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's amazing. Anybody who has questions about who Pac really is, watch his interviews while he's in prison. Yeah, I like, I also like where you compared him to Rimbo and then someone misinterpreted as Rambo. <laughs> they build today. They called him, they're like, I said that Pac was like, you know, the Rimbo of America, the like the French poet Rimbo, and they wrote Rambo. <laughs> He's like, he's like you couldn't actually like, yeah. he's like this like French yeah. like symbolist yeah. poet who's like debauched you couldn't have two more <laughs> distinct yeah. but you know did they change that up real quick did I don't know I don't know they edited that it's like, like, it's but, like but, uh, it was in Playbill I think it's yeah, still there it was there. in Playbill yeah. today yeah. but um but then I came back and thought you know what as a rapper he was kind of like Rambo too mm -hmm. yo type of like do his own stitches well he went all over the place every album five <laughs> times do his own stitches come back rapping like yeah. with a headband and fucking I mean guns. even the the, yeah. or the origin yeah. story <laughs> he's a superhero for sure I mean even for the sure. origin the story of uh, the bad daddy he was Rambo yeah. yeah leather vests and stuff like yeah exactly you know. I didn't get Pac when I was younger man I've said this shit on this podcast every time and every time I say this there's some kid in the comment section I'm like I read the comments he's like what the fuck are you talking about I really didn't get that shit when I was younger dude I don't know what I was listening for, but not until, yeah, not until, like, I was an adult. Like, you know, I mean, like, 19, 19, 20. I was just like, oh, dude, like, this story is pertinent to 
all times. This story is yeah. pertinent to this I struggle, mean, you know? For me, I know Pac, when when he was first on like Rap City or UMTV Raps, like the Brenda's Got a Baby type shit, mm. I had a little respect. Like, ah, uh, you know, I wasn't bumping that. You know what I'm mm. saying? But when it came on, I would watch and be like, oh, this kid's cool. This yeah. kid's cool. Then when the Digital Underground started, oh, that's, that's, that's yeah, kid. Yeah. And then by the time uh, like I get around hit, by that, that yeah. time I was like, which is a commercial time, I was like, all right. Yeah. And then I had to go back and forward and listen to everything and was like, holy shit. But yeah, then he reached, I mean, there's some shit, but like, you know, Dear Mama and shit like that, where I was so fucking verklempt by yeah. by you know what he was able to accomplish in some of his where songs. do you think he would have ended up like today oh I have no idea you know no idea where would any of these guys great answer up? that's a great answer no idea where would Kurt Cobain end up where would Biggie end up where would Jimi Hendrix end up Janis Joplin end up where would Amy Winehouse end up you know what I'm saying where would John Michelle Basquiat end up mm-hmm. you know I just imagine more successful. I just imagine. Yeah. I think he would have probably directed I just imagine, you know. I think he would have directed something for sure. Yeah. I know I know his mother was like, yo, Pac's dream was to be on Broadway. And mm-hmm. his brother told me the craziest shit, mm-hmm. which is that when they were in high school, their favorite thing was to go home and listen to and sing all the songs from Les Mis. Oh, wow. Wow. Pac was a real theater nerd. Yeah. I mean, he was going to art school in Baltimore, yeah. but you had to pink it, yeah. So but I mean, when I think of him, like, singing Les Mis, and I had similar shit with, like, Mary Poppins and Oliver Twist. Like, there were some musicals. Mm-hmm. I like Jesus Christ Superstar, mm-hmm. the musical. Like, there's some musicals where I was like, yo, this shit's hard. I tried to sample <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber on my first album. Yeah. And he wouldn't let me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> You will not clear that one. Yeah. But, so, uh, mm, well, well yeah. I want to talk about the new album too because you know I know you got to write. Oh, there's so. nothing to say. <laughs> you said it all. I mean, that's the the type thing about this podcast is that people are gonna listen to your music, listen to your music. Yeah, but it's good to like just I'm hear, you, say, uh, hear you we, talk I'll about what you're interested. Talk about the album because the album is called Martin Luther King, and at this point, it's all you need to know. Play some music from it. Yeah, you know, like there's a uh, there's a whole story that um, that surrounds this album and uh and yeah you, you'll encounter it <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a great answer yeah <laughs> i feel like every time like i uh you like it, it's so hard to explain i feel like i mean do you feel it's hard to explain something like after you're kind of done with it and finish no. it or, no no it's just that for instance i'm performing at the roxy tonight and i think the best explanation is through performance yeah you know it's like trying to explain a kiss yeah i mean like if you're with the right person, you're not gonna waste no fucking time explaining the kiss, you know. Yeah, no yeah. matter how many degrees you may have in poetry or what have you, and how many rap competitions yeah. you win, if you're maybe it be a text to explain like, a kiss, <laughs> like fuck you, you're wasting out to kiss this, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. just just do it. Show me the, emo- yeah. the emojis don't work. I'm gonna um, be there, man. I'm gonna take a date or some shit. I'm man. I think I think yeah. I think that that concert is gonna get me laid, bro. Oh yeah, you think yeah, so? I think so. I think so. It's gonna make me make me look really smart to this ratchet that works at the wing stop by my house. You <laughs> stepping in with assumptions. <laughs> nah, dude, I'm dude, I'm just hopeful. Show might get you I'm, shot. I'm you just hopeful. Bring your boys. Ah! <laughs> 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 
You better be on your Capcom. We're going to edit all this. <laughs> so what do you got going on? The what, What's next? Like, what what next? Can, what can people check out for? Um, Martyr Loser King in, in its multimedia forms. Um, there's a book of poetry coming out in, in the fall. Um, a film uh, called Dream States. Um, and uh, and more, more touring, more. But there's a lot with Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is is an album, a graphic novel. Where I'm working with this mm. artist named Ronald Wimberly and a play, some musicals. So mm. the music that I'm that's on the album actually belongs to musical. I'm mm. just not, yeah, playing around with that's tight that too much. But it all belongs to musical. That's yeah. awesome. Well, yeah, that's tight. Thank you for coming through. Yo, it's a pleasure it. to be here. All right, shots fired. All right, yeah. Man, good job.